the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Brought to you by Guerrilla Technology. Proactive and strategic IT. Well, greetings and welcome along to the New Zealand Tech Podcast. Thanks everybody for listening in. I'm your host, Paul Spain, and today we have Michelle Sharp joining the show from Vodafone. How are you, Michelle? I'm great, Paul. Thank you. And thank you very much for having me today. It's a, genuinely a very big, big privilege, so thank you. Well, great to have you here. Maybe you can fill listeners in on where you, where you fit in this big, wide world of uh, technology in, in New Zealand. Yes, I certainly can. Um, about three months ago, I came back to the tech world. My first time in New Zealand, I'd just like to say. Um, my, my job title is quite interesting. I'm head of Vodafone South Island and also Head of um, Digital Innovation for Vodafone New Zealand. So that's where I fit in. Fantastic. Sound like uh, good good things to be responsible for. Oh, very exciting times. I have to say it's a fantastic opportunity to come back at a really exciting time in, in the world that we live in. First of all, we must say thank you to our partners, Sumo Logic, Vodafone, Spark, Vocus, HP, and Samsung, and it's really you know their support that is helping us uh, you know grow the show and develop it this year. So uh, great to have all of those fantastic firms uh, on board, and for all of the support that they bring to the tech community in New Zealand. Well, let's jump in. I've spent a little bit of time in Canterbury over the last few days, but also tripping around the the rest of the country, uh, but keeping a bit of a watch on some of the things happening uh, internationally. And we spoke on the show a few weeks ago uh, about this interruption to internet in the um, Kashmir region of Mm. India. And when I became aware of that, it it sort of blew my mind a little bit just to think of having an extended internet outage anywhere. And one of the things that we've we've talked about on the show over over the years is resiliency for New Zealand being connected to the rest of the world and I guess in those, in those earlier days of the New Zealand Tech Podcast, we had just the Southern Cross Cable or the Southern Cross Cable Network. And, and now there's a lot more uh, resiliency. There's a, you know, a connection uh, from New Zealand uh, to Australia that's independent of the, the bigger international links. And we've got the Hawaii cable, and then we've got uh, still the you know Southern Cross Cable Network. So you know we would seem to have a, <laughs> a reasonable sort of confidence that we're going to be okay. And you know when I've ever you know thought about that, you think, well, you know, how would we cope if there was a uh, you know there were that somebody you know deliberately went and, and cut cables? You know, look, it could it could take you know it could take days, weeks to to reconnect. But you know, I never thought of this being something that a, that a government might be involved in in, in doing. Um, although you know, I think if we look at, at you know varying parts of the world when there have been uh, you know political challenges and um, unrest and, and varying things, we you know we have seen you know social media channels blocked, looking at at China whether there's this great firewall of uh, of, of China and they're, they're being. You know that level of control, which you sort of forget about when you when you're, you know, in a country where we've got free and you know well, very easy access to very you know very fast internet, whether it's it's mobile or uh, or fixed. But uh, yeah, hearing about the situation just you know it, it really sort of did my head in a bit trying to think because we yeah. we we take these things for granted. The you know the world has changed and this is just a part of, of you know how we operate our lives day to day. How so many businesses and organisations, um, yeah, have done the same. They you know they totally take it for granted. Uh, what did you? What were your immediate thoughts when when you heard about this? Um, yes. Um, so my immediate thoughts actually, interestingly, um, computed with the fact that in New Zealand we still have challenges around our rural communities and how important that connectivity is from a personal perspective. So I went straight to the sort of human-centred feeling of what that would be for six months I think to go without connectivity and thinking of myself in my own life and the fact that you know I rely on connectivity to speak to my family in the UK um, every day so I couldn't live here in New Zealand if I couldn't speak to my mum or my brother you know for example but then you start thinking deeper and you think actually it's far beyond the individual and it's the communities in which we live the effects on businesses and trading and from what I can hear like it's going to be a lot it's not just a question of turning it back on off we go again there are many 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 jobs that have been lost and businesses that have had to close as a result of that and we do take it for granted and um 
So yeah, my, my heart went out clearly for the for the, the, the nation involved, um, and then bringing it back home, you think I just really can't wait. And I know that you know together as um, as network providers, we're doing a huge amount through the RB2 um, RBI2 rollout to actually make sure that the whole of New Zealand has that connectivity because we do in the major cities take it absolutely for granted. Yeah, yeah, and the, but the the bit um, the extra bit that came in in the in the recent news that I read is yes, they're restoring um, that internet connectivity 2G um, but it's it's very slow mm-hmm. and some have been working around it by getting internet via satellite which I That's thought right. well it's nice to know that there's you know there there is uh, or has been another another option although you know whether people can afford that and there you know challenges there but um, yeah that that is at least a little bit of a saving a saving grace mm. I'm sure in, in some cases and uh, you know of course we, we're, we're starting to see some improved options uh, become available for for connectivity in, in New Zealand um, over the next few weeks with um, the you know, new satellite that's that's recently gone up so that will that might help some of our rural people but I guess you know if everything was cut off um, you know satellite could provide a a little, you know, thin amount of yes, communication for yeah. New Zealand. So certainly hope we don't we don't get to that point. But it, you know, it does sort of, you know, I guess beg the question that you know, do we rely too much now on all these technological things? Is, mm. is there is there any way to go back? Oh, I think there's the argument on both sides, isn't there? Like all these things, I think I just I don't think there is any way to go back. No. Personally, I think we've gone way too far, and we've we've seen how amazing technology can open up our lives to a different world. And you know, two G not so long ago was incredible, and it just shows how technology's moved on so so much. I've been out of the sector for ten years, and the difference between ten years ago and now is just mind blowing. I mean, it's it is a different world that is changing exponentially. Um, so yeah, really interesting. I don't think we can go back. Um, the question is everything in moderation. I mean, I'm a mother with young kids who literally, it, the worst thing you could ever do is turn technology off for them because that's the only way that the only thing they've ever known as, as young kids. So it's a question of moderation and making sure that we are using technology for the right reasons rather than the wrong reasons. That's what I firmly believe in. So, yeah, quite scary though, the thought. Yeah, yeah. Now, we've been hearing about coronavirus over not not very many days actually. I mean, this thing mm. is accelerating at a yeah you know, very a pace. fast pace. Yeah, and I, you know, I was looking through Google News and looking at different headlines, and you know, in, in the space of just a few days, you know, it, it's gone from you know very small number that were infected, you know, maybe two deaths, to you know, where it's escalating you know, pretty pretty quickly. And it got me thinking, you know, where can where could technology sort of play in this type of situation? Mm. And I mean, it's a very hard thing because this is going on right now, and you, you know, mostly with technology things, um, yeah, they they take as with anything else, they take time to, to put in place. Um, so it's just you know curious if you've got any any you know any thoughts on 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 these things. You know, how how can we use the networks and artificial intelligence and so on to, to draw in on, mm-hmm. on data. And of course on the on the on the flip side, because this is all centered in China, you know, we know there's a fair bit of surveillance technology and so on. Um, could, you know, could this become the sort of thing that actually emboldens um, you know, China to to maybe want to you know track people more closely. Mm. And you know, there's there's probably an understandable degree at the moment where you know if the government said today, look, everybody needs to install X app on their mobile, as has happened, and and you know, um, um, you know parts of, of China um, already, people coming into the country get their phone scanned and, and so on, and of course there's a lot of cameras. Um, you know, you you've sort of got the potential for that to happen, mm-hmm. and you could see. Look, if if yeah, the government did have more and closer data on, on people's movements. Um, yeah, you pro- probably could minimise, predict the, at least. Yeah, yeah, the the impact. Yeah, and I think again, it you know, it just goes back to those. Every argument has two sides, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. Um, I, I um, for us or for me certainly that the power of. of digital innovation technology is around positive impact in our community. So the lens I looked at it through was how amazing it could be 
if we could use digital innovation in order to predict through AI or um, predict or or maintain or you know anything like this. Um, and I started researching it, and um, I hadn't appreciated, and maybe it's a very well, uh, well known thing, but in 2009 when swine flu emerged, at that um, two weeks before the US health officials had actually worked out that there was an epidemic, that Google, through using um, its um, search engine, was able to predict due to looking at what people were searching wow. to say that actually it looks like something's coming. So that's quite powerful. Also, on the other flip side, for some people, quite scary. So for me, it's like the aggregation of the information rather than individual cases. If you can use that data aggregated to start making some real predictions and start, you know, hopefully containing things like an epidemic like this, mm. there's got to be some merit in that. Now, AI pro probably has a long way to go still because I suspect that the accuracy isn't quite there and would probably overlook at what's happening. But there has to be a way of doing it in a way that we could keep ourselves from a privacy perspective safe, whilst also seeing patterns that are there through the right algorithms to actually say, actually, this is happening like this. This person's been on this plane. We know that they've been, that, you know, they've been exposed to it. So maybe we should look at putting measures in this particular part of the world or whatever that is. So mm -hmm. there's definitely a part that technology has to play and should play. Yeah. It's how we, we, we use technology mm -hmm. to determine mm -hmm. these things. For, for a safer and community that we live in, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because you, I mean, you can imagine sort of you know very simple basis as they they pinpoint where where it started. Yeah. And I mean, I'm thinking mobile networks because we're we're sitting inside the Vodafone yeah. building at the yeah. moment. Um, yeah, their local networks, which I'm I'm sure you know, the government has a has probably a, a higher level of control over than in other parts of the world. Um, you know, would have information on you know who was running off different cell sites and who was in a particular area at a, That's at, right. a at a given time. So there probably are ways to you know um, join join up a you know a few bits mm. and pieces of of data and uh, and maybe work out you know who's been at the the or who was there right at the beginning. But of course, as people sort of spread out and and in and a very around, mobile world, in particular, um, yeah, yeah, that becomes more and more complex. Um, I think there are, you know, I haven't spent a tremendous amount of time in China, but I gather there are some similarities to other mm. communist regimes in terms of freedom of movement. There isn't, you know, isn't the same as 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 what we what we have here. So. Yeah, there are some, there are some aspects there where people don't move around Quite as, as much. much, or where they have to. Uh, you know, some people I think you know maybe report movements or you know there are processes to, to, to go through, mm. um, but I don't know the, the detail around that. Um, but yeah, I can I can see how you know technology could could play a role, uh, but also there's that that caution around you know mm -hmm. cameras and data and all of the all of the sorts of things that that. that that could be done, and an outbreak like this potentially being used to to roll out you know, technology which could have you know all sorts of other other uses. And I'm sort of I guess concerned enough with where we're already getting with you know some of the sorts of technologies, even surveillance here in New Zealand. You know, if I, th I think around you know what what we have available, you know, police have. Uh, individual organisations have homes have with their little you know ring cameras and surveillance cameras, uh, and we're fairly, you know, I don't think we're very far down that track. You know, if you look ten years out, I can imagine New Zealand will have you know more surveillance quite easily. Uh, yeah, maybe on a per capita basis than maybe what China does today. These things are likely to keep ramping up, aren't yeah. they? That's sort of, you know, part of the nature. The cost comes down; it becomes very easy. So, yeah, more and more people implement these things. Um, but it, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah, lead, lead us to you know think a little bit about how we how we get the right balance, which, which leads us on um, to the UK, where. Um, you know, we know that there's been a lot of cameras in, in, in the UK, and particularly areas, uh, you know, high popu highly populated areas like London, um, for some time. Um, I, you know, I, I don't remember particularly noticing them, but I, you know, I, I think that's the facts as I'm aware of. And so the recent news is that um, facial recognition you know, capabilities are, are really going to be normalised in London with the police you know, using these cameras around there, turning on facial recognition capabilities to you know, track criminals and the like. Mm -hmm. So we, we, we seem to be moving down a track reasonably quickly that yes. uh, 
you know, it sounds a little bit sort of George Orwell or something, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it certainly does. But I mean, I guess uh, from the, that particular case study, if you think about it, is it any different to actually having more police on the streets? Because you're dealing by exception here. I think we have to remember the, the previous conversation we're having, this one here, it's about doing the right thing with the data. And ultimately, if I live in a community and there is somebody who is a big threat to the community, I have nothing to hide. So long as my information isn't going to be shed because there's no need for it, then I would be absolutely fine for AI or whatever to be used, facial recognition, to actually make positive decisions that are going to be positive for our community. So I think yeah, it's, if it's, there was someone nasty wandering around your well, neighborhood. You'd want you'd, to know, you'd, and you'd, you'd, you'd want you would, you would want that addressed. And yeah, that's a that's a really really good point. And I guess you know technology should have the way. Well, we should we should have the ways, and I, you know I think this can be done. Um, you know, and whether it's a, you know done technically, I guess is you know different ways of doing it. Um, but ideally, I guess if all of that happened sort of inside the camera, yeah. and the only data that you know got stored or shared was was the that of yeah, yeah, the, yeah. the exception, then yeah. you're in a good place. Whether that's a reality, I guess I'm you know I'm I'm not so sure about. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think and that's, that's the, the two-sided unknown, yeah. isn't it? Exactly. And, and, it, and I guess that's what we've got to um, watch and encourage the right sort of habits. Correct. And, Best practices to be followed, and maybe you know, I guess there's le- you know legislative um, you know aspects to this too. Mm. In theory, with the um, uh, General Data Protection Act, uh, what's it called? GDPR. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. I forget the, you know, the what that breaks down to. Um, yeah, you know, with those sorts of things covering the UK and and Europe, hopefully that you know, hope. good good things are being done with yeah, the data, I and think. it is nice and and. Uh, safe or, or just not being stored if it's irrelevant. I mean, it's about integrity, isn't it? Integrity of how you're going to use that and the reasons why you're putting that. And, you know, back to the China thing, you'd hope that this is not going to be an excuse to actually do something, but actually it's going to be something that you implement because it's genuine for the community and a positive side. On the flip side, imagine if you, I don't know, you lost your child in the middle of London and mm. if something like facial recognition could actually help you find a child that's missing or lost or or kidnapped or whatever it may be, you know, you'd want to think that by exception you can deal with a situation where technology can help rather than being seen like the big brother. Agreed, yeah. It's a, certainly a pretty challenging one and, you know, we talked uh, some time back, uh, I think it was China where um, our government collected certain you know, data and then had distributed really reasonably broad, broadly to whether it was, you know, police departments or individual uh, territories and and in doing so, it wasn't actually encrypted and you know kept mm. safe, and so it ended up actually being publicly accessible. So, you know, those are the sorts of things that you know we very much want to avoid and be on the other, the other end of. So, yes. <laughs> indeed. So, yeah, I think this is going to be, you know, I think a, a pretty challenging time, but I, you know, I hope that the opportunity brings up. You know, good ideas, and and we you know we land in a good place on this yeah, on this stuff. So. That would be great. Uh, now, on a New Zealand front, local company uh, Imager, whose product um, Smart Cart has has been uh, you know been developed for a number of years, uh, have attracted growing amount of investment. Uh, yes. Recent news: fourteen million dollars, which is is really pleasing. And I think you know this interests me from a, a, a number of angles. And I'll be keen to hear your perspectives too, Michelle. But when uh, we first heard about uh, you know, Amazon's um, you know, cashierless stores, we could just walk mm-hmm. in, pick something up off the, the shelf, and um, you, know, you walk out of the store, and it's going to it's going to bill you accordingly. Um, you know, I guess one of my one of my concerns is well, Amazon have got so much money; they could they could come up with you know, they can put an unlimited amount into that sort of technology, mm. and potentially uh, then become very, you know, very dominant if they if they do something that's very hard for smaller players to be able to uh, get on board with. Pete, yeah. And and if that's you know heavily disruptive, but then the other thought was well, you know, mostly technologies end up reasonably quickly going from you know those sort of pri- pri- proprietary u- unique things mm. to where actually. Um, you know, businesses and organisations of all sizes can jump on board and and you know do something similar or or equivalent. And you yes. know we're seeing a lot of that with 
with uh, artificial intelligence and the you know, fact that any organisation can you know, tap into Amazon and Microsoft and IBM and Google mm-hmm. and, and, and others with their um, you know, cloud AI capabilities that you can, you can tap into. So there, there's that aspect there that I, I really like that this is, I guess, sort of you know, democratising this type of uh, technology. Now, I don't know, you know how far down the track they are. And whether this is, you know, something that interests that interests you, you know, how much time do we actually save going through this sort of checkout? I guess I guess that that varies, but the idea of yeah, just dropping your things in your, you know, in your cart and and being able to walk out, um, you know, I think all these little things do, you know, do make a, a difference and and make. Yeah, life a little bit frictionless. Yeah, I think it's ultimately, hopefully, about being able to provide choices for consumers. Mm. So there are days where I'm really, really happy to go to check out and speak to somebody, and that's just, it's great, it's your human interaction, and we should always allow that level of, of human interaction. But there are other days where I'm absolutely running around, I've forgotten to write my shopping list, and I'm going, I wish I had a, a, a better way to actually achieve what I need to achieve today in my life to make it just that little bit easier. And that's where technology like this can be incredibly powerful. You know, you 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 buy a couple of ingredients and, and you, as a, a mother of two young kids and incredibly busy in my own life and their lives, there are times where I'm thinking, I have no idea what to cook for dinner. It'd be great if I picked up a, you know, a tin of something and through the app, it could say that goes into my, um, my you know, very amazingly technological um, uh, trolley mm. that says, have you thought about making whatever, something, yeah. some inspiration that could come? Yes, yeah. And that would be incredible. But I don't think I'd ever want it to the stage where I couldn't have the choice of having that human interaction. Yeah. Um, and especially you think about some of the elderly in particular, some of the people who are more marginalized in our communities, they need that big time, that personal touch. And I think I've read somewhere there's a country where um, that they have a special aisle, which is an aisle where it's going to take your time because we're going to invest in the person. We're going to talk to them, talk to them about whatever it is, the weather, their life, what they're doing. And yeah. isn't that wonderful? So that's at the other extreme of technology. So I think that, again, it's in the balance is actually having options so that as, mm-hmm. as consumers, we have the choices to what suits us at this moment in time. And it could be different on two different days. Yeah, 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 that's good. Well, it's, it's going to be interesting to follow this because it seems like there's, there's different approaches going on in, in different parts of the country. I, I think, you know, Foodstuff's North Island sort of trialled SmartCart. And then that's right. Uh, yeah, taking a different approach. Uh, in fact, some, somewhere in the North Island on my travels, um, I stopped uh, to get some uh, charging uh, for the Tesla on the road and... There was a uh, supermarket, I think it was a pack and save, and they had a little, it was, I guess, a you know, smartphone type device to basically scan the goods as you put yes. them into the trolley. I don't know if you have that here, um, but I, I don't remember having having seen it anywhere else. Um, you had to be a member and signed up on that thing, so um, I didn't get as far as actually trying it out. But you know, it's good to see the experimentation and that we're, mm. we're trying these things um, and, and yeah, I guess to a degree, you know, keeping close to the forefront and, you know, hopefully with SmartCart, they can be at the forefront and, um, you know, this becomes a New Zealand success story in, in time. Absolutely. And I think, you know, New Zealand, we're in a unique, um, we're a new, unique country, aren't we, where we're so connected as, as a country that if something is going to work, we're going to make it work. So, and it's great that in this space of innovation, we're allowing these young startups to actually come up with new ideas and do things differently and not all of them will stick and some of them will be more appropriate to some environments than others um, and that's got to be the beauty of it all yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah good news there and um, a story that came up um, probably a couple of weeks ago we, we managed to squeeze it in was um, Auckland uh, Transport and their new uh, parking cameras <laughs> and I guess that you know you could tie this back into the surveillance um, type discussion, but you know presumably they're going to be you know just collecting the the data that they that they need. But I thought about this uh, earlier. I, I parked outside um, C1 here um, for um, uh, a meeting I, I had with uh, uh, Neil Hamilton from uh, Canterbury Tech earlier, and uh, I pulled into the into the car park and I sat there and did a few emails and, and so on while I was sitting there and I thought oh 
I wonder whether they've got that same uh, technology that Auckland's rolling out and have I already been pinged because I haven't gone, you know, I'm sitting in the car, so if there, you know, if it was sort of old school and uh, um, uh, meter made or whatever, we, 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 we call the, the guys and the girls that, uh, you know, have gone around and issued tickets in the past, um, uh, were there, they would probably see there's somebody in the car and, you know, might not ping me for not having got it, uh, you know, uh, paid for parking yet um, but you know with this new wave of technology we're going to have to get used to a yeah uh, a new a new way of operating and you know my my understanding is is that it you know basically um, yeah the vehicle can drive past and who knows what a future iteration of this might be in sort of you know five or ten years time but for now you know, the vehicle drives past it's got a camera on it uh, yeah it grabs your license plate checks the database have you you know it's all pay by plate these days um, so it can know whether you've paid to be parking there um, and then there are other parks that are sort of yeah, limited for a set time you know, 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 60 minutes you might not have to pay at all um, so they get your number plate are you in the same spot and then they go as far as uh, actually looking at your wheel yeah. right and very and, clever <laughs> and you know based on the rotation of the, um, uh, the wheel yeah. they can uh, I think make some assumptions around, uh, you know, whether whether you've whether you've been there, you know, for for the length, for, of, for, time. For the length of time, um, rather than having you know gone away and, and come back. Mm. Um, there was somebody recently who got you know pinged pinged for that. I don't think this sort of camera was in use, but they uh, and I'm, I'm sure it wasn't. Um, but they had some sort of you know digital record of you know having gone somewhere else and then having come back and managed to uh, manage to get off the yeah. line. Uh, but we yeah we keep seeing all these little um, you know smart uses of technology, but they can also be a little bit uncomfortable if we're going to get more more fines. And you know I have to admit I'm probably one who's uh, been known to you know overstay the five minutes <laughs> or the ten minutes or you know those sorts of things and knowing well the chances are of somebody walking past and pinging me it's mm. probably going to happen you know maybe one in one in ten times uh, this might have to I might have to um, uh, mend my ways Your and, uh, and, and be a, be a better um, parker with this uh, technology so I guess there's some some Good results for uh, everybody else if I'm uh, if I'm no longer being naughty in my parking <laughs> And I guess I, when I you know read that story, you flip it on its head as well. And if you're using that same technology in a residential area where you have no off-street parking, as and you get home at the end of a long day and you're desperate to see your kids and there's nowhere to park because people are parked illegally per se, mm -hmm. then you might be really pleased that you have that technology in your particular street. So again, sometimes to get the positive, you have to realize that um, towing the line might need to be <laughs> part of our future decision-making process. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and I mean, you sort of join up the dots to a future with autonomous vehicles and vehicles that you know that can chat back to infrastructure and track, chat back to mm -hmm. you know, parking authorities and so on. You know, there's all sorts of potential in terms of you know, how how some of these things might play out. Might, yeah. might play out. What you know, the technology we put in place today just may be completely irrelevant in a few years' time because mm -hmm. the car communicates all of those things. You know, and I back suspect, at, at yeah. a certain level anyway. Yeah. Um, so, um, but hey, I'm 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 okay with it. It's, I'm not <laughs> ex I'm not excited about it, but. Uh, <laughs> I will, I will learn to live with it. Um, Maybe yeah. it's a question of um, taking a lime scooter instead next time rather than a car. Who knows? Changing habits, but yeah, on the big scale. Yeah, yeah. And look, we, you know, we've, we've got all those new, uh, yeah, new, new possibilities. And um, yeah, I think I mean, transport is something that will keep evolving. And Without a question. Uh, look, it's really, really hard to know. You know, where we will be in, in you know, five, or, five mm -hmm. or ten years' time and, and looking a few decades out, uh, even, yeah, even more so. Um, and, yeah, whether these little uh, scooters... I, I still think, to a degree, the little you know, electric scooters that we have today are kind of a... Um, maybe an in-between step, that they'll be mm -hmm. something a bit better, maybe a bit safer and, yes. and, and so on. Um, but they're, you know, I think, an important part of, of how people get, a, get around yeah. now. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. uh, yeah. Now, since we're here at Vodafone, Michelle, um, yes. <laughs> and we haven't had you on the show before, it would be just great to hear a little bit about um, your background. Last week we had um, Stephen Moe on the show, 
and uh, I, I heard on his uh, podcast, uh, Seeds, an interview with you, and you were you were not wearing a Vodafone hat. Uh, you were you were heading up uh, Kumanok Enterprises here in Christchurch, which is, is probably very well known uh, to those that are local, and uh, but but probably less so uh, beyond that. And you know, very much working in a social enterprise. Mm. Uh, and now here you are back in sort of you know corporate land. Yes, so I'm, I'm keen to hear <laughs> the story. You know, a, a little bit of uh, you know what's. Uh, uh, what's you know drawn you back into mm. uh, into the, the tech and the telecommunications yeah. uh, world, and uh, and and what Vodafone is up to here in Christchurch mm. as well. We went for a uh, wander around the building uh, earlier, and it looks like you have you know all sorts of plans in terms Absolutely. of you know what comes next. Uh, there's the Vodafone um, Zone sort of you know startup accelerator type um, program. Um, that I hear a little bit about uh, as well, but let's start with yeah how, how you've landed back at Vodafone. I think it's about what about four months since you uh, yes about uh, four months uh, in back yeah. to the corporate world. So um, just for context, um, I did start my career way back in the day with Vodafone. Um, I keep saying I have a claim to fame, which is I believe I was Vodafone's first ever sponsored undergraduate. This is back in Newbury in the UK many decades ago, <laughs> longer than I care to remember. And I basically started my whole career um, working in this space. So I'm um, always working um, at the cutting edge of technology. So I was working back in the mobile data days when mobile data wasn't even a thing. So that's the, the space I enjoy, the space where you're trying to work out how can we use technology to enhance our lives and trying to imagine the unimaginable. That's mm. I love that space. Um, 10 years ago, uh, this is not a secret, I became increasingly disillusioned with the corporate world. I wasn't a Vodafone back then, just to say I'd now um, <laughs> left and um, joined another company. It was a startup that grew quite fast. And that was about the fact that decisions seemed to be made predominantly around the shareholder as being the only stakeholder. Whereas my belief was very much that actually you have, yes, the um, shareholder is an incredibly important stakeholder, clearly, but also you have your employees, your customers, and the community in which you live. So um, disillusioned with this the corporate world in which I had operated in, I made a decision to actually switch things on its head and came out with my young family to New Zealand, and this is a decade ago, and chose to take time, and at the time I thought it would be about two years, to use the skills that I'd learned in business, but to do good, and came across a small charity in Christchurch called Kamarnock Enterprises, which was a legend here locally, um, operating very much like a charity, and made a decision that um, maybe through this incredible tool of business, I could turn this the company that was at the time standing on the edge of, um, of um, financial collapse as a result of losing the Anzac Poppy contract just after um, the earthquakes here in Christchurch. That's right. It was reasonably sort of big, Very big, big, big news, news at, yeah. at, at the time. And I think they were, you know, worked out that it was cheaper to do it overseas. Uh, make these things in yeah. another part of the world. That's right. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. Um, but what a great opportunity for a company to say, okay, if we use a tool of business, but always come back to every decision that we make is keeping true to our purpose, which in Kamarnik's, um environment was around um, providing a pathway for school leavers with disabilities into sustainable employment, that maybe... Um, we can we can actually resurrect this business and do something different, which is exactly what happened. Now, through a lot of public speaking that I have done over the last 10 years um, around diversity and inclusion, and a lot of it actually around digital innovation in that space, so using technology like iPads to actually break down barriers for people. So I always, always had a technology lens in everything I did, clearly from my past. The thing that I noticed that struck me is that businesses... Um, it was the corporate world almost inviting me in more and more to talk to them about how can they adapt their way of thinking and their culture to actually be more like a social enterprise. And it really, really felt like the time was right for me to come. I felt like a duty almost to come into the corporate world and, and to see whether I could disrupt from within. Now, Vodafone felt like the perfect, perfect um, um, segue into doing this. In, Why is that? Well, for lots of reasons. A, because I think Vodafone New Zealand is ahead of the curve. I really believe that. I think from a, a company, from a culture, it's actually quite a young company. So I think with youth comes this different way of thinking that the crossover between... Um, work and home life is is very blurred for the millennial um the millennials coming through um, 
where they want much more than just a job. This is part, it's a lifestyle for them. So that was one aspect that I felt that Vodafone was ahead of the curve already. Secondly, it's what I kind of know and love. And I'm, I've always been incredibly loyal to Vodafone. They did so much for me as a, as a youngster and I've always flown the Vodafone flag ever for the, you know, the 15 years I didn't work at Vodafone. Very, very, um, yeah, privileged to have worked in a company that was so forward thinking. And then the third thing and possibly the biggest was the role itself. Um, two reasons. One, that it was Christchurch-based, and I'm incredibly passionate about Christchurch. I, I think Christchurch has got an opportunity, literally of any city of a lifetime, in terms of post-earthquake, what it can do to reinvent its image and, and how it presents to the rest of the world. Um, but secondly was that whole digital innovation piece. We are in a unique moment in time, and I feel... I'm going to talk about something which um, most people will roll their eyes at, but I was, as I said, working in mobile data before people could imagine what it was, and I came across a little, little thing called BlackBerry that I brought to the UK, which suddenly exploded mobile data because people could feel it and touch it and could suddenly understand the power of mobile data. Right, so mobile data was was, Nothing. A, was, avail was available, available, but nobody but was using it there, for anything. There wasn't, wasn't a need yeah, until, really long sales. until people really clicked on to... Um, the BlackBerry. So how did that how did that come about? How did you sort of discover the opportunity to really introduce BlackBerry to the Well, a, a load of research and a huge amount of bravery to actually back a couple of horses, to be honest. I kind of put my neck on the line and I made a decision that even though I, I had a team who'd been talking mobile data for 18 months in a very consultative approach, nobody was selling anything because nobody knew what they wanted and nobody knew what was possible. So I cut all um, conversations off unless they included BlackBerry and a mobile data card. And the reality was it was a huge success. So I was, I was you know, part of the rise of BlackBerry, nothing to do with the demise. I was well and truly gone by then. But um, it just suddenly opened people's mind up to what mobile data could do. And clearly it started with something really simple. Email was becoming very prevalent and it did it and it did it securely. You know, going back to what we talked before, very securely and it did it really, really, really well. And from there, clearly the evolution meant that people could, you know, understand what else was possible. So... Digital innovation is at that exact crossroad where the BlackBerry of the world came in. You know, IoT, AI, 5G, which is an enabler to that. It is such an exciting time. I think in the New Zealand context, it's even more exciting. We, six months ago, um, sold out of group. So we are now um, Vodafone Global's biggest partner market, which puts us in a great position that we're locally owned. New Zealand for the world. We have access to Vodafone, all the good bits of Vodafone, but total independence on how we execute locally. That cross with digital innovation, where we are in the world, and an incredible team here with a, the most amazing culture that I could have walked into, way ahead of what I thought, actually. What couldn't be exciting, more exciting about that? So the time was right. I felt like all the stars lined up, and it was time to actually make a very brave move from, you know, for 10 years, I'd said I had the best job in the world, which I, as CEO of such a purpose-led organization, mm -hmm. I reckon I might have landed on the next best job <laughs> in the whole world. So... I mean, drilling into that, you talk about the, the culture, you know, at, at Vodafone, mm. and look, I, you know, expect you to be passionate because you've chosen to, you know, come come and work at Vodafone. But what are, you know, what are some examples of, you know, of that culture that, um, you know, listeners might think, oh, this is good. That's something that mm. maybe we can incorporate into into our organisation, or oh, how, you know. That doesn't make any sense. But what are, what are the things that sort of yeah. you know stood out um, to you and have caught your attention from that perspective? I think one of the biggest for me is a culture of trust that I feel here. So clearly, we work in an organisation where we are making everything mobile, and we should be doing what we say we do. But the fact that the culture has gone from when I last worked in the corporate world, where if you weren't at your desk at eight in the morning and still there at eight o'clock at night, somehow you weren't being a good employee, to I trust you entirely here or your tools of work. You go and work from wherever you want, however you want. So long as the job's done, I'm trusting you to do it and to do it well. So that is a whole turnaround at 180 from what it used to be before. So I think that trust element's really important to me. Um, I think there's a huge piece around integrity as well. I think as an organization, we genuinely want to do right for our customers. So it's not a question of selling something for the sake of making money. It's actually about leaning in and understanding what is important to you as a customer, as a business, as a consumer, and actually selling you the right thing. Now, we probably don't get it right every time, but the desire and the integrity is genuinely there. Um, the third thing is, it's the people that we employ. People care. I, I held a two-day um, off-site where I brought the digital innovation team together. And my, one of my first questions was, is what do you want to be famous for? And 
you know, people started writing on post-it notes and sticking them up, and I was just flabbergasted because I only thought this happened in the social enterprise world, not in the corporate world. People wanted to be famous for not connectivity, not the best network. Those things are very, very important. They want to be famous for making a difference. So we've even managed to so quickly reframe all the language around impact. You know, we want to have impact in, um, for our environment to become sustainable. We want to have impact for well-being of our communities, and we want to have impact for connected communities. So just the people are incredible. Like I have just suddenly found some of the best human beings I've ever met right here in Vodafone, in Christchurch, in Auckland, across the country. So yeah, really remarkable. And I, I hope that as an organization who has got so much right that we can really lead the way in terms of doing the right thing with all the things we've talked about, where there are two sides to every story, you know, for every positive that could potentially be a negative. Let's just hope that we're thought leaders in how to actually evolve technology for good and not for scaring people into what it might mean for them as an individual. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, there, there's, there's some uh, great places to work in, in New Zealand. And we tend, you know, we tend to be good at you know solving problems and you know coming up with with innovative ideas um, so you know I hope you know what you're talking about here is you know certainly something that that you know just becomes the norm for New Zealand right that uh, that we do get these things right in terms of uh, you know all aspects of, of culture and you know the, the way that we work going forward um, but it's always good to yeah, just hear some of those those examples. And, I think uh, it's really important. I think the organisations who are not thinking like this are going to be left behind. I mean, there's a whole swell globally mm-hmm. around how employers should behave. No longer is it okay just to have a triple bottom line that's really a marketing tool. People have to be, organisations have to be doing it with integrity. And I genuinely think that as an organisation, we could be leading that way through the lens of digital innovation as well, mm-hmm. and technology and communication and connectedness, which are such important aspects, but, but doing it right and doing it for New Zealand in the New Zealand context and doing it well. I mean, it's just incredibly powerful. Mm. And certainly that that change from being, you know, Vodafone New Zealand, a you know, division of Vodafone Group, to actually being a, you know, a, yeah, I guess pretty much a you know, independent yeah. um, you know, local, local firm now, um, that, that certainly changes the picture. Now, as far as that's concerned, the Vodafone zone... Program. I don't know how you just describe it exactly, but you know it's been running for a number of number of years, and, and um, you know based here in Christchurch, it was I don't know maybe two or three years ago that I, you know first came down for um, you know for that uh, launching. Um, that sort of sits under your um, remit, I suppose. So I'm, I'm curious to know, you know, what's happening. You know, what it, for for those that don't know, what is Vodafone's own, and then. You know how does it how does it change now that uh, you know Vodafone uh, New Zealand is this you know independent entity mm-hmm. rather than um, you know part of, of Vodafone Group? How does that uh, change things? Mm. So in terms of what Vodafone Zone is, it, to be fair, it's always evolving. Clearly, as you can imagine, um, but Vodafone Zone uh, was started in 2016, I believe, and it was really an incubator for accelerating startups. That's how it started and had a series of programs that meant that we could invite businesses in with some incredible success stories and actually um, wrap them with what they needed in terms of being able to um, come to yet yeah, to accelerate their their business, their startup in the, in the tech in the tech world. Um, really great timing because we're kind of giving it a bit of a rebirth at the moment. And I think to answer your last question, the independence piece is great because suddenly we're not dictated to by Vodafone Group as to what we do in Zone. And I have this vision, this which would be incredible, that Vodafone Zone here in Christchurch becomes a landing pad to any organization, individual, or internal ideas to where ideas start, and we can be that landing pad where everybody wants to be a part of it who's got an idea in the tech space with all the resources that they would possibly need to be able to go from a concept or an imagination to actually the reality of having a product or a solution that they can sell in the market. That would be just, and we're known for that. So we're known as that front door towards innovation space. very recently, I said very timely, we've just come away last week from having our um, launch of um, a new program within um, Zone, which is actually looking at how we can work with some of our strategic customers to actually together come up with solutions for their own customer base or for New Zealanders or even for our customer base. Um, so really, really proud to have launched with the BNZ, who's one of our very strategic um, 
um, customers. We went just before Christmas, we had applications that opened for the BNZ Partner Series, um, which is fueled by Zone, Vodafone Zone, and had 30 odd entries from businesses, had an incredible Dragon's Den day, oh, which really? was probably the fun. most fun I've ever had. I was very lucky to be a judge and some 10 incredible pitches. And now the five organizations who've made it through um, spent two days in um, Auckland last week with a mixture of Vodafone staff, BNZ staff, and all sorts of other people to really harness what their idea is. And over the next three months, we'll work on their businesses with a view of hopefully um, having this incredible success story, which will help New Zealanders to change their lives through technology, which is really, really great. So very powerful. And that would be one of many, many programs. So, right, right. so um, you really want to open up this space here in, in Christchurch. You've got a fair bit of you know, space in the building yes. um, to allow you know, and facilitate you know, collaboration and, and try and uh, help birth and, and bring about those new ideas. So how do you resource that? What sort of people are you going to need to you know, bring onto your team to uh, you know, help make that help make that happen. What what will what will it look like in here and you know yeah. six months time? It'll be a real mixture of people who we employ versus people who hang out here with a, a strong remit as to why they're involved with here, um, with this space. So we want to really create a digital innovation centre of excellence. Christchurch for New Zealand for the world is the way that I see it. You know, we, we were saying earlier that New Zealand is incredibly connected. It's incredibly easy to do business here and there's access to a lot very easily. It's a unique country from what I've seen um, in the rest of the world. And then Christchurch is almost even more connected, um, spookily so sometimes. I mean, even with the previous role I was talking about earlier with CEO Kilmarnock, I'm having different conversations with the same people four months on. It's just really, really strange how connected it is. So there's an opportunity to... I hope, well I know, to really create some very exciting job opportunities locally, which is exactly what Christchurch wants and needs. So we'll be able to really help the economy boost and working very closely with the tertiary um, entities so that we can actually make sure that we are um, helping them work out what courses they need to run in order for us to have the right um, graduates coming through, all the way through to creating, I keep describing it as a mini Seattle. Like I want an environment where you've got developers working alongside business mentors, working alongside investors, working alongside kids who've got these bright ideas in an environment where you can have um, from a, um, an experience lab where you can go in and you can have your imagination totally like in terms of what could be what the future of technology could be through to having a space where through co-creation and design thinking methodology you can actually start formulating ideas all the way through to an environment where you've got a access to a network where you can start testing um, your software your hardware whatever it is that you're developing but having all of those aspects in a very collaborative manner come together right that's the dream now for for those who are who are listening and think oh actually that would be useful um you know how how will they be able to tap in and, and interact because you're only going to have you know i guess so much resource you might suit uh, i guess you know uh, different size businesses or, or different types of um you know ideas in different ways how how will you sort of get get started and uh, you know, facilitate that. Will it just be for those that are uh, based in Christchurch, or you know, how how um, how far will that be uh, be opened up? Yeah. So early stages, Paul. I have to say. I mean, I've I've been here for um, four months, of which I seem to have spent a quarter of it overseas so far, yeah. and Christmas yeah. in between. So I am just about ready to present our strategy to um, to the exec to say this is what I believe, and then that will be tweaked, and then. I hope that there'll be various ways of getting involved. So some of it will be, I guess, quite formal in terms of invitations into seeking interest from parties all the way through to um, maybe through our website. There'll be various methods, I suspect. Um, we just want to be as accessible and open to everybody because you don't create Seattle by being really prescriptive as to who can come in. You know, there has to be some thread towards technology and digital innovation, but outside of that, we just really want to work collaboratively with the community. So I'm hoping that, um, you know, within the next, uh, our next financial quarter that we can actually come up with multiple ways of becoming um, engaged and, yeah, watch this space is all I can say. Mm -hmm. Vodafone Zone is where it's going to be at. And do you do you think that um, that there's a there's a demand? What have you sort of seen uh, locally here in Christchurch? Having you know spent a little bit of time um, you know chatting to uh, Canterbury Tech and 
you know a few other other people here. It certainly seems like there's there's a you know a lot of activity in, in Canterbury, um, but often also you've got uh, organisations that are maybe quite stuck, shall I say, and you know stuck in their ways, and their you know maybe the natural mindset of the leadership or the way that you know the the organisation operates and its culture isn't around innovation and you know trying to you know push push things forward so do you think there's an element of of education you'll need to get involved in in there to you know help expand mindsets a little bit yeah um probably i mean without a doubt it is a space where there are a lot of people working within it as you say at the beginning so i think for us it's about working out what role do we play in that ecosystem and then I'd really like to see us as a leader in the space. I want to inspire others. Other organizations, the ones that you talk about where that might not be their mindset, to actually start thinking differently. And that, that's where the customer experience lab or center is going to start really hopefully. If we can start inviting the community in and getting them to see, wow, I had no idea what technology could do to solve some of my real life problems be it business problems or employee engagement problems or let's just be holistic, um, that would be fabulous, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be amazing if Christchurch could be seen by the world as an environment which really breeds innovation and thinking differently and has exciting jobs and we can do this, absolutely. And I think for Vodafone, it's important to just work out what role do we play in that ecosystem because we're not going to do it alone. Um, yes, we're a big, large corporate, but I think we've worked out that we have a role to play, but not on our own. So let's actually coordinate ourselves. And I think locally we can, we can come together and we already are coming together and talking and what does that ecosystem look like? And making sure that we understand the role we play versus you know, other organizations and other corporates and the tertiaries and all of that. It's, yeah. it's an exciting time. And I think we can do it really well here. If we put our minds to it, I think we can absolutely do it really well. Yeah, and I think you know where where things are done well in one part of the country, then you know that often flows flows right. flows on, um, yeah. you know beyond. So, oh, very very interesting. Great to chat with you. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Paul. My absolute pleasure. Well, if anyone wants to get in touch or, or learn more about what what's going on, what's the best way to uh, you know to keep in touch and hear about Zone and other you know, initiatives? Yeah, so Zone has its own website, so you can actually just Google Zone and you'll find it. Um, clearly, everything's on the Vodafone website Zone as well. Zone with an X, isn't it? Yeah, sorry, yes. good, yeah. spelling <laughs> X-O-N-E. Um, I'm going to try, now that I'm in this space, which is slightly different to my previous world, to become a lot more active um, on social media. So LinkedIn seems to be a good platform um, in which to, to do things. But just reach out, you know. Honestly, we want to hear from people. We want to become involved. Um, you can find all our details online, so absolutely reach out is the best way we're we're wanting to hear from people and the good ideas and and evolve as a community together you know that's ultimately what we want yeah that's great mm. excellent well thank you very much for my pleasure on the show. paul thank you very much yes, thanks everybody okay. for listening in uh, we'll catch you again next week on the next episode of the new zealand tech podcast um you can catch some of our episodes like this one uh, also on uh, facebook so be sure to be following on uh, our social channels uh, and of course you can find us online at nztechpodcast.com all right thanks everyone see ya thank you to our partners sumo logic vodafone spark vocus hp and samsung and it's really you know their support that is helping us uh, you know grow the show and develop it this year so uh, great to have all of those fantastic firms uh, on board and for all of the support that they bring to the tech community in new zealand the New Zealand Tech Podcast, brought to you by Gorilla Technology, proactive and strategic IT.